0: Well, I invite you to turn over in your bulletin to page 3. Page 3, there's really a... Actually, I guess the, the reading for Max starts on page 2, and then into 3, and a pretty extensive outline there in 3 this week. We are continuing our sermon series that we've been doing this fall on the church and all her servants. Uh, just two more installments... Uh, in, this, in this series, we're getting to, to that congregational meeting we have scheduled next week. And this is helping us think through what the church is about and how the, uh, and how the church is called to, to serve in the world. And, um, and this week we're tackling a subject that's going to come up next week uh, in a kind of peripheral way. But it raises an interesting question that we don't always talk about in the life of the church, which is the subject of church membership. Church Membership. Next week at our congregational Meeting, it's going to be the um, Communicate Members of Emmanuel who get to vote on church leaders. Uh, so it might have us asking, well, what exactly is church membership? Is it, is it important? Is it biblical? What, what's that all about? And that's what we're going to do this week. We're going to look at a number of different scriptures, but our key text is this Acts 2 passage, and so we'll read that Read that now. So let's uh, listen then to God's word from Acts 2, 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, (laughs) and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Uh, Let's let's pray. God's word going forth. Lord, we do look to you. Uh, We confess that your word is just that. It is is your word. Uh, We pray that you would help us to Uh, to submit ourselves to what you say, uh, to hear, to understand, uh, to to just rejoice uh, in what you have done in the world through your Son. We pray that you would encourage us, even this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, church membership. Now, there's a subject that if if you kind of surveyed the Christian world you'd get a whole lot of different opinions, and maybe end up really confused at the end of it. And, and that would kind of make sense in all those different opinions. Probably you could break it down into three key categories, and, and we'll illustrate that by three conversations I've had over, over the years. One of those conversations took place just this week. I was mentioning to somebody that I was, I was going to be doing this particular sermon on church membership, and I saw this person's face light up. And they said, wonderful. I was just thinking about that. Somebody asked me about church membership and I didn't quite know how to explain what it was biblically. Like, great. Okay, Mm -hmm. That's maybe one category of person. You kind of understand and maybe even like the idea of church membership, but maybe not quite sure how it fits in biblically. Then another conversation. This may be two, three years back. I was talking with a uh, another local pastor, lead pastor of a, of a, of a big church, successful church. And, and somehow the, this topic came up and he said, yeah, we have church membership, but it's basically just for the old timers. Uh, you know, the people who grew up with church membership, they really like it. So they'll ask me, can we become a member? And yeah, we make them members. Uh, but we really just don't even talk about it otherwise. It really doesn't, you know, doesn't really make any difference. So me, that's category number two. It's like, yeah, we have it, but it's not a big deal. Uh, And one third conversation, and this was some 25 years ago, I was doing a project for a seminary class, and the the project was a group of us were to to study a congregation, and uh, and the guys I was working with, they wanted to go really big. So they picked the biggest megachurch in our area, and we were going to study them. So we got an appointment with one of the pastors, and we're asking them all kinds of questions about the church. And he brought up this subject. He said, yeah, church membership, we don't do it because it's not biblical, because it's legalistic, because it's a stumbling block, so we got rid of it. We don't do it. And maybe that's the third category. Uh, those who, uh, who, who just reject it all, outright altogether because they think it's, it's not biblical at all. Uh, so probably, probably most Christians in Christian circles fall into one of, of those three categories, you like it, but maybe you still have questions about where it comes from. You're kind of like, eh, is it really a big deal? Or maybe you're like, I don't really like this at all. Do we, so we should get rid of this. Um, and Or maybe you're just somewhere in there and just confused by it all. That makes sense. Uh, so let's let's take some time to do what doesn't always happen. We should talk, is this a biblical idea? Where does it come from? Like we said, next week it actually will be something we bring up, because it will be members who get to vote. Well, well is that... Is that the right thing to do? Wrong thing to do? How does that work? Let's look at the scriptures. Let's see how God's word presents uh, the church of Christ and shows us uh, how how something specific like membership fits in. A number of different passages we could go to. Uh, We're going to start off with Acts 2. In many ways, Acts 2 is the beginning of the New Testament church. If we had time, it would be great to go to the Old Testament Right? The people of God, the church, really goes all the way back into the Old Testament, so it'd be great to, to look at how it started with the family of Abraham and Israel, and sure enough, we'd see that even back then, there was a very careful accounting of who was in the visible community of faith and who was out. In fact, if you were here, or last big sermon series, we studied the book of Numbers, where part of the big theme was numbering God's people, they did it twice, and the whole book gets the name, and kind of numbering who's in and who's not. Okay, but, but let's go to the New Testament. Acts 2. Here we have the the start of the New Testament church. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches, and, and you start to see the, the life of the New Testament church come come to, uh, come to about. And one interesting question to ask about this passage is, how does this show me what... what the early apostles, what the apostles and the early Christians, what they thought a disciple of Jesus should look like. How does this passage show me what they believed a the disciple of Jesus looks like? Because remember, that was what Jesus told them to do. Right? He told them, make disciples. Right? Just days before this Acts 2 uh, event, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, you, here's, your, here's your job, uh, apostles, go make disciples. What does a disciple look like? Uh, Jesus doesn't give a big explanation, but you can look at this passage and say, oh, this is what Jesus must have taught them. This is how they understand it. So what does it look like? Well, let's just quick run through the passage. Again, we're the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has already been poured out, and Peter's preaching to the crowd, uh, explaining both the the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then he's preaching Jesus. Uh, And in the midst of it, the people there in Jerusalem... Uh, are, are convicted. They're, they're cut to the heart, right? They even say, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, turn from your sin. Uh, there's forgiveness in Christ, right? He, he preaches the gospel to them. He points them to Jesus. Uh, we told, we're told that they're baptized, right? That mark of, of following Jesus, that mark of being no longer a part of the world, now a part of the community of faith. And we're told uh, that there, verse 41, uh, that they were added... That day, about 3,000 souls. So that's interesting language. They were added that day, 3,000 souls. That language of being added to the number shows up again at the end of the passage, uh, as we're told that uh, the Lord added to their number, day by day, uh, those who were being saved, So, and adding to the group. Uh, And we're told... Uh, In the midst of it, what they did after they were added to the number, what was it they did as disciples? Well, verse 42, they devoted themselves to what the the apostles there were teaching. So there were leaders and they were teaching and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship with one another. It took the form of eating together, praying together, uh, 44 and 45, sharing with one another and serving one another's needs. Um, So you start to get the picture of, Here's how they understood what it looked like to be a disciple of Jesus. Right? It's an individual who is convicted of their sin, who turns from it, uh, is then uh, added to the local church and added to the number uh, of, a, of a body of believers where they're actively apart, uh, Devoting themselves to the, the leaders teaching, uh, leading, learning together, praying together, serving to one another. Uh, That's how they pictured being being a disciple. That it had this quality of being committed to to a local, visible, active uh, community of faith, a local church. Uh, The idea uh, of being a disciple of Jesus, uh, but not being together in a local body, just would seem weird to them. That's how we do. It seems like uh, the apostles would tell us, or, or a believer would tell us. Uh, it seems very clear that that commitment to a local body is essential to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay, uh, we're, we're building here. Uh, so there's, there's kind of the foundation. What does a disciple look like? Uh, the next kind of building block we can add is, well, what about the word membership? Like, is that even just a biblical idea? Some people have said, like, you don't find that in your Bible. Well, actually you kind of do. Uh, member is a biblical word. Uh, so there's a couple passages. We read one from Romans uh, 12, but here in your outline you see uh, 1 Corinthians 20, uh, 12, 27. Uh, the word member, where we think of membership in a church, um, is uh, its its roots are member of a body, right? Like body part, right? You, that's kind of old English word for body part, member, body uh, of a body, member of a, of a part of the body? Uh, well, that's, that's where the word membership comes from, the idea of membership. Uh, and it's exactly what Paul uses to talk about the church uh, and the church as it acts in, in a very local way. So here's 1 Corinthians 12, and we studied this a couple weeks ago, so we don't need to go through all of it. But remember, he's describing the church as a physical body, many different parts. Uh, they're struggling with that there in Corinth. Uh, some thinking that they're not so important parts of the church. Others thinking they're, they're way too important parts of the church. Uh, and Paul is encouraging unity, even though they're different, working together because they're one body. And he says this in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Uh, individually members of it. So that, that language of, of being a member of the church, well, that, that is biblical language. Now certainly, uh, Paul is always has in view that the church is bigger than a local situation; that there is this invisible, universal body of Christ that every believer is a part of. Uh, but but here's a good a good illustration in 1 Corinthians twelve where Paul always connects the invisible with with the visible; that they're not somehow in different worlds. Because here he's talking to yeah, sure it's it's the one uh, church. Uh, Everywhere, but it has this local form, which is why he's talking to you, Corinthians. You Corinthians, who are really like upset at other members, right? Because one member is saying uh, is saying you're not important, and another is saying I'm not important, and he's challenging them on where they live, right? They're in the same place. It's it's that local thing. Perhaps that even why Paul says in this in this particular verse. Why he says, uh, you are the body, and instead of saying, we are the body of Christ, which would be right for him to say, because Paul is, of course, a Christian too, and a part of the larger church. Uh, But he really focuses in, not on his place in it, but you, Corinthians. It seems to have this very... He wants them to think locally, where they are. You're you're, you're a member of the body of Christ. Uh, so, So you start to see this... This isn't completely unbiblical language at all. In fact, it's quite biblical. We're talking about Christ's body. But it makes sense to say, yeah, but church membership, as it's talked about in some churches, has this very formal quality to it. Uh, it, it has it has, it has uh, lists, membership roles, and you talk about transferring from one church to another. That kind of has a formal quality to that." is that a biblical thing that we need? Or is that just kind of a, a legalistic add-on? We can just say, yeah, you're committed to a local church, and, and that, that kind of sells it. We don't need all the formal-type uh, uh, details to go with it. Well, uh, one way of, of understanding Scripture is, How does? what are the, the good and necessary consequences of what Scripture says explicitly? Uh, in other words, what is... What is not just stated explicitly, but a, but what naturally follows out of it. And what you have in Scripture, in talking about the church, is a whole list of commands that New Testament Christians are supposed to live out as disciples that you really can't follow unless you have some kind of formally organized church membership. A whole list of commands that you really can't follow. Fully obey uh, from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, you can't fully obey these unless you have some formal sense of church membership. And let's let's look at a couple of them together so you get a sense of, of what we're talking about. So here's one that's in your bullets in Hebrews 13, 17. Um, is, in some ways, this is a, a little refresher of what we talked about, and we talked about elders and shepherds and what their job was. So Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, and so here clearly the discussion is about church leaders and the, the what we talked about before, that there clearly are to be local church leaders multiple uh, leaders, multiple shepherds, you can kind of hear that language of caring for your souls. right So servant leaders who are, char- who are in charge and trusted by Christ with, with caring, shepherding uh, God's people. they'll have to give an account of that of that leadership work, of that caring work. Uh, here this passage also adds in uh, the idea of the responsibility of, of the, the sheep. <laughs> Uh, to the leaders if they're called to follow their lead o- obey and submit as they as they uh, point what to what Christ says obey and submitting to that uh, to that word of Christ uh, but 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 notice what's implied here uh, the only way this works or could happen is if it's very very clear uh, that that sheep know who their shepherds are and shepherds know who their sheep are. You get that? The only way you can actually really do this uh, in, specifically, uh, that the only way that, that, sh- that individual church uh, attenders, uh, people in the pews, could, could follow the lead of their leaders, is if it's very clear that those Christians know who their leaders are, and the only way that, that leaders can care for your souls is that the leaders know who are under their leadership. Okay, maybe illustrate it this way. Uh, some of you know that my older brother Tom is, is also a pastor, so he's a pastor in the PCA, about an hour away. Uh, so, so you got two pastor Um, Okay, here, here's a question for you. Which one do you need to obey and submit to? Because right, right here, obey and submit to your leaders. Here's two leaders in Christ Church, pastor shepherds, you know, so, so which Pastor Har are you supposed to obey and submit to? Both of them? One of them? How does that? How does that work? How do you know? Um, well, um, one difficulty, if you if you if you kind of brought it out, is a lot of you don't even know who my older brother is. Like you wouldn't be able to pick him out of a crowd. Or if you have met him before, uh, you, you you certainly don't see him enough where you could follow his lead, right? So there's 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 one pastor heart. It's really not even possible for you to obey and submit to his leadership because you don't know him, you don't see him. You know? uh, or you could flip it around. Um, is God going to hold Tom accountable for his care of your soul? Is he going to have to give an account for you? I mean, you're, you're a believer in Christ. He's a leader and shepherd in the church. Is, is God going to hold him accountable and say, how well did you do in shepherding? Well, how in the world is he supposed to do that? Right? He doesn't know most of you. Or if he's, if he's met you before, uh, he certainly doesn't see you often enough where he could realistically care for you and your soul. Right? It just doesn't work. Uh, and so, what this command then implies, necessitates, is some very clear understanding of, of uh, among the sheep of I know who my shepherds are, and for the shepherds, they know who their sheep are. Otherwise, it just it just doesn't work. You couldn't keep the you couldn't keep the command. Uh, it doesn't work. You have to have some formal sense of church membership, uh, clarity about leaders and sheep. Uh, otherwise, you can't you can't you just can't keep this command. Here's a a couple more. So you have printed out there Matthew 18 uh, and 1 Corinthians 5. Here, This is talking about church discipline. Uh, You know, it's it's not necessarily a fun subject, although it's a good thing to know that that God so cares for his sheep that he puts in place that if one of his sheep wanders off, he's not going to just ignore them. He's going to try to bring them back. Uh, And that's what church discipline really is, trying to restore someone. But think of how... This only really works if you have some some formal sense of church membership. Because what is the ultimate step? After after all the the patience and the care and the the encouragement and the going to the person, the ultimate step is what we sometimes call excommunication. Uh, What what 1 Corinthians 5 uh, says there at the end, let him who has done this be removed from among you Uh, or... or, uh, Matthew 18, uh, let him be treated as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's the idea of excommunication. Um, Let him be removed from among you, right? As a way to try to urge him to repent. You're not walking like a believer, so we can't treat you like one. Uh, That's that's the idea. It's it's, it's a a loving try to urge them, urge them to turn around. But again, think, the only real way to do this is to have some sense of church membership. Right? Because how do you remove someone from among you if it was never really clear whether they were in or not. Right? You can't remove something that's not in. Right? It just, it it becomes fuzzy. It becomes almost impossible. Uh, And so here's this command of Jesus, this command of Paul. You really, we really can't do this as a church unless there's some formal sense of here's someone who who is in and it's recognized. She'd get it, the leaders would get it, uh, it's clear. Uh, one more in this category. Uh, this one's quick because we did it a couple weeks ago. Acts 6, here are the people uh, in the early church choosing deacons. All right, this is what we said we're going to do next week. We're going we're to pick. Uh, the, the, the people of God get to choose their leaders. And that's what you see here in Acts 6. We need some deacons. The apostles gather the full number of disciples together there in Jerusalem and say, you pick for yourself. Uh, you pick for yourself. Um uh, the command to the command for for people to pick their own leaders. Uh, they, they gather the full number of, of disciples. Uh, well, okay, we're gonna try to do that here in Emmanuel <laughs> An option to pick for, for elder, option to pick for deacon. But again, the question is, well, who gets to vote? Gather the full number of disciples. Um, does does my brother get to vote? I mean, he believes in Jesus. Uh, okay, go go even closer on on my very block, my very court got some great Christian families who love Jesus and are committed to his church. D- did they get a vote? Right? Why not they're here in Medford and you know well the only way to really but well, why would it make sense for them to pick leaders that they're they're not going to be called to follow right the only way it really makes sense you can really follow it and obey it is is that there's clear notions of what church membership is uh, and is all about. And that, and that the people of God are walking in it. Uh, okay, so we get to our, we get to our last point, uh, what we're calling reviewing and growing. So kind of review what, where we've been and then try to think, okay, how do we grow from here? Uh, and, to, and to try to do this, I, I thought maybe what we'd do is we, we'd look at the membership vows for our church. Not something you probably stare at very often. So uh, for some of you, you've heard these before, some of you they might be completely new. So a great way to introduce or refresh. Uh, Printed them there in your bulletin. <coughs> <coughs> um, members of our church take these exact vows uh, or a, a similar type vows in, in other churches. Uh, just a quick summary as you kind of work your way across. Uh, question one is basically, do you believe the Bible is God's word, and that it's the final authority? Uh, Question two, do you believe that there's only one God, the triune God of Scripture, and do you believe that Jesus is the eternal Son? Uh, Question three, do you confess that you're a sinner, and that you're trusting in the work of Jesus to save you? That's question three. And then question four, uh, do you promise to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life? Uh, seeking to serve Him, uh, seeking to grow in godliness with your with your life. Uh, okay, just you can even just push pause there, and then you go back over one to four. I think all of us would agree. Like, oh, that that's just what it means to be a Christian, right? And this is a good summary of what it means uh, to 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 be a Christian. You you believe the Bible. Uh, you you believe the God of Scripture. You're trusting in Jesus as your Savior. You're following Jesus as the Lord of your life. Yeah, that's what Christians do. <clears throat> Part of what we're saying here and trying to see from Scripture is that number five is also what it means to be a Christian. Is also right baked in to what it means to be a disciple. Which is, uh, do you promise to for- faithfully participate in this church's worship and service and submit in the Lord to its government and heed its discipline? That number five, active, uh, f- official pers- participation in a, in a local church, yeah, that's what we're seeing from Scripture. That's also what it means to be a Christian. That's also at the core of, of living out our faith. Uh, actually, in some ways, you could actually review our Acts 2 passage with those five membership questions. Essentially, what Acts 2 does is just run down the list. Peter preaches God's word. There's question one. Uh, His sermon is even about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's question two. Uh, People are convicted of their sin, and they turn to Jesus as their Savior. There's question three. Uh, Peter urges them to to, to turn from the ungodliness of the world. There's question four. And what do we find they end up doing, uh, but being added to the number, and they worship and fellowship and are committed uh, to the leaders over them? There's question five. Uh, is, is, we could go through the other passages, but in other words, this is a good way of reviewing what we've seen uh, the Bible. The Bible teach, and so what we what we want to uh, remind ourselves is is that we can't just take questions one to four, but say five, not interested. Um, that that a disciple of Jesus looks like all of these all packaged together. That a commitment to a local church and local church shepherds is really a core part of what it means to be a disciple. So that's our that's our reviewing. That's that's reviewing. So now we get to the the growing. In other words, what does it look like to go from here? What does it look like to grow from here? And that really is what we're talking about. We're talking about we're talking about growing. This is this is growing, not shaming. Uh, there, there is in no way a kind of hidden, like, finger-wagging from the front this morning. That's not the point. That's actually why, very specifically, we, we started with this kind of confusing church world, all these different things about opinions about church membership. So if you kind of walk in a bit, like, confused or whatever, like, that makes sense. Like, it is confusing out in the church world and how church membership is is dealt with. And so if you if you're kind of, like, mixed up in that confusion, like... Makes sense. Uh, of course, you add to that, there's the confusing uh, Christian world about church membership, but then add to that, uh, a lot of believers have had to deal with local churches where, uh, where there have been really awful experiences, really bad experiences. So, under shepherds that are not just lousy, but harmful, uh, and, and even abusive. So you kind of add confusion and then add on top of that really bad experiences and real hurt. and Like, like that's real, that stuff's hard. Uh, so what we're talking about is, is, is not saying well, that's all nothing. Now we're saying okay, let's acknowledge that's real, that's hard, we gotta, but let's see how it works to grow through that, to not get stuck in that. To acknowledge it's real and hard, but what does it look like to, to grow uh, from here? And of course, specifically, our job always is to think about ourselves. What does it look like for, for me? What does it look like for you to grow from here? And it'll probably look different for each of us. And maybe maybe a way to kind of get at those differences is to look at that, that fifth membership vow. And say, okay, you know, what would this look like for me? So for some of you, you, you look at that membership vow, and, and you, you can say to yourself, you know what, I, I've never really taken that vow. I, I've never really promised uh, to, to committed myself uh, to active participation in a local church and and following particular leaders in a local church. I never I've never made that commitment. Um, so for you, that's probably where the the growing begins. If you can if you can go through one to four and say, oh yeah, that's me. I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I'm following as my Lord. Then the application then is okay. The growing step how can I find a good local church and commit myself formally to it in the sense of church membership, right? Uh, There's there's a good growing step, pursuing church membership if you've never taken this this type of vow. Uh, But maybe you read that last question and you say to yourself, oh yeah, I've done that, right? I've taken a vow like that. So then uh, growing for you uh, might look like, okay, Lord, how do I keep this vow? Better and better. Uh, how, do I, how do I grow in my participation in this particular season of life? How do I grow in my participation in this church's worship and service and, and commitment to, uh, to, to uh, being a part of that body and under those leaders? Lord, what does it look like for me to grow as a, as a member of the church? Now, there could be a whole different group uh, that, that you'd say, yes, I have taken a vow like this, I have committed myself to local church membership. I'm a member of a church, but I don't go there anymore. Right? That that frequently happens. That's just that's just life. You know, you move you move to a new location, or you or you leave a church. Right? There are good reasons for leaving a church, uh, biblical reasons for leaving a church. But you get in this situation where you're a member of a church, but you're not you're not there anymore. So what does it look like for you, if you're in that position, to, to grow? Now maybe you find yourself in that place now, or maybe it'll, it'll be just be in the future sometime. You get a job transfer, or you retire to a different location, and your membership's back there and you're here. Or you you, you leave a church for a good good biblical reason, uh, then then what? Well, I think that the, the step there is pursuing membership in the church you are attending. Uh, and, to, and to realize as you're doing that, that, it's, that to, to leave the old church in the sense of transferring your membership, leaving the church roles of the old church, that's not somehow an act of disloyalty to the old church uh, or, uh, you know, an act of rejection. Uh, it's, in many ways, you could just see it as a sense of being honest, right? right? If, if I'm not there, I really can't keep my promise to be an active participant there and if I'm not there, the leaders can't keep their promise to watch over me, right? So being honest is like, I can't do my job, they can't do their job, let's try to get it to a position where I, I can do what I promise and the leaders can do what they promise. So let's find the church I am uh, attending and I'll and I'll commit there. Pursuing it, pursuing it, taking those, taking those next steps, pursuing a transfer to the local church where you are attending regularly, where you are, where leaders can know you, and and you can know them, and you can be actively uh, our participant. But, but as we said, uh, this whole subject of church membership, it's one that can be confusing. It's one that sometimes can be painful because of ugly experiences. So if you kind of walk away and you still feel a little confused, or you still feel a little just weighed down or even hurt, uh, if nothing else, maybe do this. If nothing else, just... Just talk to somebody about it. You know, find a a believer, a mature believer that you trust, and you can say, yeah, I'm struggling with this. Here's why. What do you think? Uh, At least just have a conversation like that. I'd certainly be happy to talk to anybody if you're interested. Uh, Don't have to, but elders, I could speak for them. Or or another another godly, godly believer that you know. Just to, Again, just how to, does it look like to grow from here? In the midst of a, a subject that can be confusing and, and difficult, what does it look like to, to grow from here? And as we do it, remembering what Scripture takes us back to again and again. Uh, the core, the heart of the church, uh, is, is what Jesus has done to bring it about and to sustain it. Right? Ultimately, our, our hope and our joy in, in church life is the fact uh, that we have an ultimate shepherd who will always keep his promise to us. right? You, you talk about taking vows. right? How about the vow that will never be broken? Uh, the, the, the Savior who promised from all eternity to rescue you, believer, and to hold on to you to the very end. And not just you, but all of God's people everywhere. There's a vow, there's a promise that will never be broken. Uh, Jesus will never let go of you, believer. And, and it's, it's that safety in Christ. It's that, uh, it's, it's that uh, security that enables you to be freed up, uh, to, to be in connection with, with other sinners who are struggling just like you are. Uh, people are going to disappoint and, and frustrate. That's what, that's what it's like being connected to sinners. How can I do that and still be safe? Well, it's because there's a Savior who will never break his promise to you. A Savior who will never let you go. And that's what the church always brings us back to. Who's the king? Who's the head? Who's the big shepherd? It's Jesus. That's why we're safe. And that's why we're here. Because he's here with us. And he's our heart and our core. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would encourage and strengthen and refresh uh, your people, help us to see the, the church as, as you see it, even its, uh, in its difficulties and struggles, uh, Lord, that we would seek to, to live as disciples of Jesus in our day. Uh, Lord, focusing our eyes on the great shepherd himself, even the Savior Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen.